You're listening to Spotlight On. I'm Bevan Burnell, and today's Spotlight is on MIFA Victory Theater. I'm delighted to have in the studio with me the Executive Artistic Director of MIFA Victory Theater, Don Sanders. Thank you, Don, for being it's a, here. It's a pleasure to be here, Bevan. Yeah. It really is. I love chatting with you. You've been a huge supporter of the Holyoke High School Theater Company and my work over the last years here in Holyoke, but also even before I was back in Holyoke. So I'm really happy to have you here today. I'm on record as saying there is no experience of theater that a person having engaged in it does not arise from it a better person. I agree completely. And all of my students have risen out of theater in such an excellent way. So and your support of that has been wonderful. So I'm really excited to hear that there's some funding to back the Victory Theater up. And I wanted to chat with you about that today. But before we do that, can you kind of paint a picture for the listeners today? What is the history of the Victory Theater and kind of where do you see it going? Thank you, Bevan. We, we're sitting on something so extraordinary, which is the Victory Theater. It is a 1,600-seat Broadway theater. When I say, I use that within the terminology of the old-fashioned legitimate house or theater. Holyoke had seven theaters in its heyday. People will call in and say, no, eight. But I'm going to say seven, including a 3,000-seat opera house that predated the old Metropolitan Opera House. The opera house in Holyoke was built in 1874, and the old Met was built in 1879. So there's something in the water here. There was some, There's something here that it enjoys expression, enjoys what theater and live performance does, which is to engage us into our own inner issues and the inner outer issues as it relates to the political world and the world we live in. And that's why I think theater is very exciting and always, always people want to go to it. Absolutely. So the Victory Theater is this extraordinary physical building that through a lot of historic <laughs> reasons has remained. And it is the last one in the entire Connecticut River Valley from Old Saybrook to the Canadian border. Oh, wow. And that's why we have engaged in this tremendous effort to save it. It's 1,600 seats, and we have other wonderful theaters in, in the region. We have the Springfield Symphony Hall. We have the Academy of Music. We have the Performing Arts Center at UMass. These are all wonderful theaters, but they are not 1,600-seat Broadway actually built and uh, to house the kinds of productions that really began to happen in the 20th century in 1920. And it's an extraordinary, even if nothing were in it, it's worth preserving. Yeah, it's really an amazing space. I've luckily had some time, a lot of time in it recently yes. with my students, filming a couple of different things. We had a little mini movie a student of mine made, and then we also did a fashion show video, which came out really well by yeah. a student of mine, Camerist. Um, so I've spent a lot of time in there. It definitely needs a lot of TLC, Absolutely. I'll put it that it, way. Yes, it does. It is derelict. It has been, was closed in 1979 and uh, has suffered damage, et cetera. We've, we've uh, put a stop to that damage and we have been ruthlessly, passionately raising money. And I really do feel we are in the final phase now that this theater is going to open within the next three years. I mean, it, the audience has to remember that even when construction begins, it's two years of physical construction to get it back to what it was. But I have every confidence with the recent developments. Mayor Garcia has been a fantastic supporter and, and, and a person who's got it, as they say, about how important 
important this can be for the spirit of Holyoke and for its economic development. Uh, the state legislature, we're coming off of now three earmarks from the legislature of money, uh, which are recognize the data and the plan and the reason why we're doing this, which shows that we're in a region now of the three counties, uh, which is about 600,000 people, and in a 90-mile radius of the victory, there are 435,000 people who won't go to the theater, who, are, who already do go to the theater. This isn't just hypothetical. They go to theater. They just don't do it in these counties because we don't have a theater that can, like a factory, manufacture the events that are happening at the Bushnell or the Schubert or in Boston. And we need to have that for our three counties. And that's what the victory will do. It will also be a wonderful, it's, I see it as a roof over our aspirations, <laughs> over our heads, so that when I see the wonderful shows that you do uh, at the, call, at the uh, high school and uh, Mark Todd's work and the, you know, can you imagine what it'll be like for, for the students, for, for the young, aspiring actors or just people who want to get their feet wet to be actually in in a real theater it's not like what it would be like it would be the 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 annual musical comedy you know, like west side story this last year would be at the academy uh, at the uh, victory and this the the performers would know what it would be like to be on an actual broadway stage. large scale yes. stage i yes. mean we are really fortunate with what mark todd has done yes. to the auditorium yes. at holyoke yes. high school over the last 20 yes. years absolutely but this is a different scale it's right? a different scale so that's going to be amazing and us. i think a very important one and yeah. and the same with the wonderful work that you do without without the work when I remember the first experience I had in the theater was in high school. Uh, a drama club was formed. There had not been one there before. And my best friend, uh, it was too complicated to go into, but he had a girlfriend who was going to be the star of the first show. And of course, they needed actors. So what do they, they usually need boy actors, right? So he said, okay, we need it. Yeah, we need somebody to do this role. And uh, I was no stranger to watching television or going to the theater. And my parents certainly liked the theater. But I mean, I was scared out of my mind. But I said, okay. Okay, I'll do it. And I that's why I was said earlier, I really believe that the theater experience, the experience of standing up in front of other people and talking or uh, dealing with issues, relating, it's, it's so it's such a great format. And I believe it is so nourishing for people's health in every possible way. Totally. I agree with that. My students have flourished over my time teaching them. And just even if they're not going to go into a career in theater, it's just really great to see them have confidence in front of the classroom if they're doing a presentation or the way that they work with people now. They collaborate yeah. more. They can share ideas and be willing to kind of share an idea that might not be so great, but have it evolve through the collaboration process. So theater is super essential, I think, to all education. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're going into the career. I think it's a beneficial thing for all students to be exposed to. And um, I think that the MIFA Victory Theater has helped us to produce our shows. You've financially yes. backed our productions. Yes. You've supported our box yes. office. And we hope to keep on continuing that relationship with you. Um, I would love for you to tell me, like, what do you see happening in the next like one to three years? Sure, sure. Well, we're as I said, I believe we are in the final phase uh, when COVID hit, uh, we had to relook at 
the cost of uh, construction. Uh, it's a big cost. The total project cost now is at $61 million. It's not a kind of do-it-yourself project. No, no. <laughs> and never has been because of the nature of the architectural uh, you know, quality of the building and the fact it has to be restored to its original state, which everybody will love. Uh, and that is done with uh, historic tax credits from the state of Massachusetts, which are matched by the federal government. So we have been busy uh, raising money. And I can say here, talking with you at the moment, I say we were at the $41.3 million. And that's a heck of a lot of money to yeah. raise in this. I ran into Maria Pagan, uh, you know, who's the head of the library, a wonderful project. And, you know, these projects are expensive, but they return that expense uh, in in what they do for the community and on every level, both I think on the personal level, on the touristic level, that once when we have uh, fantastic uh, tier A Broadway shows in that theater in the Victory, it's going to draw people from all over the three counties and, and even from afar. Uh, we have what we call festival programming, which is uh, international events ranging from uh, music tribute shows to the Paris Opera Ballet. And people, uh, people, our data shows that 70,000 people, as things get really going, will be coming through Holyoke on a yearly basis. So, because if you think about 1,100 people a night, and you know, just uh, you know, we don't sell all 1,600. Right, seats. right. It's a lot of people. It's going to change. Sometimes you will, though. I've worked I, well, in I theater. Know, yeah. I know. <laughs> so, um, but how are how are we going to accommodate that in Holyoke? Yeah. What are you envisioning that Holyoke's going to need? Because I feel like we don't really have enough parking right now to right. accommodate. Very that good kind question. Of thing. It's always asked. Now, yeah. interestingly enough, it was one of the first questions that was asked back in 19. Uh, well, when we first looked at this project uh, and. Uh, 1996 then we went away from it and didn't come back to it seriously until 2005 with 1600 seats you have to have the rule of thumb is 800 parking spaces and we have it already we have it both on the street we have a very generous uh you know verbal agreement from Holyoke gas and electric which is right across the street to use their parking lots because you know, at night they're not busy, and Saturday matinees is also not a busy time for them. And there is a public garage a block and a half away from the theater, so we're already there. So that that is one of the issues that historic theaters across the country have faced parking. They usually have to build right. a parking garage. We, we've got it. Right. And having worked at Symphony Hall, I know that there's like a number of handicapped spaces right out front. Is Correct. there going to have to be some sort of yes. restructuring for yes. handicap parking? Yes. And, we, and, you know, the city has been very cooperative. Uh, we are reconfiguring uh, Suffolk Street at the entrance to the Victory, and that will include handicap parking and, you know, bus uh, uh, drop-offs, valet parking, uh, that will that is all part of the plans. We're working with Durkee, Brown, and Vivieras, who are the architects out of Providence, Rhode Island. They've got great uh, uh, you know, projects to their credit, and bar and bar. The contractors are the contractors who built the original Radio City Music Hall oh, wow. and did the renovation of it uh, not too long ago. That's awesome. And so they really understand the... Um, 
uh, what what a, what a historic theater is right, about. Right, the energy that it yeah. needs to have yeah. and the yeah. feeling. Yes. Because yes. when I walk into the Victory Theater, you can feel it there. Even the, even my students, they walk <laughs> around and they're so amazed by even though it looks the way it does right I now, know. it's still really beautiful. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so. and uh, you know, Kathy McKean, our former you know managing director, and myself, we've been absolutely, you know, love giving the tours because. You know, it's like showing your home. Wait a minute. It needs to be vacuumed or something. And we've been astonished how people all, across all the spectrum, whether they're professional artists or uh, community, you know, people, or they get what a great space it is. And you really have to go inside because the the surf, the exterior at the moment on Suffolk Street doesn't give any indication that there could be a 1600 seat. It's fence. kind of a hidden, it's hidden where it is right Correct. now. And is yeah. the outside yeah. going to be part of that renovation? Yeah. I would imagine oh, to yes. make it look absolutely. more of a. Yes theatrical space. Yes, absolutely. It will have, we'll going back to a wonderful um, composite of the original marquee with historic tax credits. Everything has to be au fait, has to be the way it was done, etc. And we've been very fortunate in that the uh, the marquee will be a, 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 um, a rendition of the original marquee. And then that marquee was added to by what we call the blade, this tall, fantastic, uh, Las Vegas Hollywood style, oh, wow. uh, you know, a lighted up blade that goes up to the rooftop. So that's about it's about sixty feet. Oh wow! And and that goes back too. So people are going to be able to see it. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. How is the loading dock situation going to uh, work? Because yeah. knowing how shows are big, like truck tours that come through, how is that going to work and how is that going to affect traffic and all yeah. that? Well, that's a great question. And I can say I am the veteran of loading dock and the, and the successful outcome of finding a way to solve it. So we, um, we found that about, I'm going to say it's about eight years ago, the um, contractors and the architects dealing with the needs to make it be able to be a theater that services the kinds of shows we want. The loading uh, dock was not sufficient. It was originally just a couple of doors uh, on the alley. And so what we had to do was to acquire the adjoining property at 134 Chestnut Street, oh, okay. which people may remember was, a, 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 from the exterior, uh, a rather charming uh, mid-Victorian house, okay. which had become part of the funeral parlor uh, complex. Okay. So we had to buy that and, uh, and then demolish it so that we have the space to have a new loading dock for exactly the kind of Fruhoff trailers, I call them Fruhoff trailers, right. who back in right. and that will be uh, accommodated. There will be an annex uh, that will be added to the side of the building of the uh, on Chestnut uh, uh, now, which, which is now the, the, that the old building has been torn down, so it's just an empty lot. Uh -huh. That took about four years. I mean, that was really, you know, and we had to buy the building, of course, then get it demolished. Uh, but that will be what we're calling the Demore Annex, uh, and it will accommodate additional service uh, support for the building itself in, in large dressing rooms, mm -hmm. office space, uh, security and engineering, uh, you know, heating and lighting uh, facilities or aspects that can't be 
accommodated in the original footprint of the building. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really great to have all of that on site, too, and not have to travel from an administrative building yes. to the space. Yes. I've worked in multiple theaters where you're <clears throat> not in the theater when you're working, and Lot of lot of steps going back and I know. forth between I love the spaces, you about so it's going to be great. It's very hard to explain to the non-theatrical public why should they know, you know? Right. But you know, even if you have to cross the street when you've got a show that's opening, it feels like having to go from and one country to back another. Back and forth, and there's back and forth nothing more wonderful, things. exactly, than when in the when the. Uh, uh, the old uh, Amsterdam Theater on Forty uh, Second Street was renovated. Of course, all the offices were on the top floor, and it was, just was so wonderful. You know, uh, you know, they could he could just the the producer, the, everybody could just come down in the elevator and be there or go back up. Yeah, that's and great. it's a it's a tremendous. It'll be a tremendous asset. So you think that con- construction will yes. start in the next two years? Well. What and I again? I'm always I always say, mm-hmm. and listeners can always you know you'll give them the information and how to get in touch with me. I'm always willing to take the heat for my predictions. Right, but, <laughs> but uh, I would say we are really working hard to get some form of construction beginning by the end of this summer. Okay, and uh, that would then mean you know it is it is estimated to be an eighteen month to two year heavy construction. So we're looking at, I mean, I'd love to see it, you know, in, in 2024, something happening in December 31st of 2024. That would be so cool. Which would be, it's, it's birthday. It's birthday, it was, uh, it opened on December 31st, 1920. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> that would be a really cool thing be. if you can pull that off for it sure. Would, it would be very but cool. But it sounds like you've got about $20 million still well, to raise. Yeah, and, but I want to kind of, and we're going, we're putting on our website now as we get closer, something that is easy for listeners uh, to look at and uh, match with what I'm saying. Uh, uh, and the the cost of the construction out of that 61 million, again, we're refining it. Things changed because of COVID and the cost. Of, I'm, I'm going to say, as I speak now, it's $48 million. Okay. So, so we need to be able to sign the contract with the contractors that say the $48 million is covered. The remaining amount of money is in soft costs, in uh, developers' costs, in uh, a, uh, a, a sustainability uh, fund so that when the doors open. So that is, we don't need to be at that amount okay. in order to actually start construction. Okay. So that's what we're working on now. And as I said, as I speak, I can say with a straight face that we have identified 43.1 million. Mm-hmm. So we're not too far away that's from that. That's really 40. getting there. It's yeah, getting and close. we're working, working our butts off yeah. to you know, close that gap. What is what is your staffing going to look like once the doors do open? Because I, you <laughs> yeah. know, it does take a lot of legwork to plan a season and make sure that there's ongoing people coming in and out with performances Absolutely. and also balancing that with the community events that you want to have in the space. How are how are you envisioning that all going down? So we have the in in the business plan with the theater open. There are jobs for over a hundred people. Wow. And yeah, and that includes, of course, people forget about the tremendous uh, amount of maintenance staff, janitorial and security, etc. But um, uh, to your point, the um, we, we also have an education program, which is, yep. I, I think, very, you know, should 
be very dear to your heart. Absolutely. I know will be. Or, uh, and uh, that will take place at the theater. And uh, we're working also in coordinating with that, that with Holyoke Community College. Okay. So, so the staffing, we have a, a very carefully worked out plan for the staffing. And the staffing really needs to be in place. The deadline is six months before the show opens. Okay. And I call the show. I call the opening yeah. of the show. <laughs> right, right, right. The big grand show. Right. Yeah. So, but we're working on that now and always okay. looking for, yeah. you know, and, and refining what we think the support system is. Yeah. How are you going to work along with, not that it's really competition, but the other theaters in the area, like the Bushnell, for example, mm -hmm. um, and even Foxwoods, if you were going to bring in comedy acts, they have those no compete clauses, the 90 mile radius clauses um, that other theaters in the area have to compete with. So say Mamma Mia is going on tour, coming through to the Bushnell, they're not going to be able to come to Holyoke. So how are you going to work around those things? And, and, and what are you, what is your plan of like bringing shows? Those high, those high quality shows that are going to attract those big audiences to Holyoke. Well, as you probably know, the the phenomenon of TRA Broadway show uh, shows touring has been one of the most exciting things in the past. Well, I could I could probably stretch it out to the past twelve years, but it really took off just before maybe five years before COVID, and um, there's a very um, a very well worked out system. So much of the funding or the financing of Broadway shows. It used to be that a, a show on Broadway was financed. That was it. And then when it when it had you know when people had seen enough of it, then financing was raised to put it on tour with a different company, with a different ca different cast. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, because tier A, tier A touring is so much a part of the economics of Broadway, it's built into the financing of new shows because it, for better or for worse, the, the uh, incredible invention of body mics has made it possible for really an audience in Holyoke and I can think I can say this with complete, uh, you know, certainty, to see the same quality and hear the same quality as they would hear on Broadway. Uh, it used to be that broad. I mean, a show was dominated by what was called "People Have the Chops and Lungs" to be heard in a twelve hundred to sixteen hundred right. seat theater. But now, very, very wonderful talent can can with body mics can be heard in those theaters, and so they are the people that uh, could be heard at ticket prices on tour. Right, and they cast tours. really high, yeah, very, high like yes. very high talented yes. individuals. You know, from, from a ticket base of 45 to $95 that on Broadway would cost uh, an audience member anywhere from 150 to 350 dollars more so now the tickets for now. some of the shows are yeah, yeah. really so that in answer to your question there's a uh, and there are uh, a group of a uh, very established group of um what i call bookers <laughs> right who work with um the league of broadway theaters and so forth and yeah. really once once the once the factory opens I, we don't have any any doubt about how well how it will fit in in terms of how it will relate to um, our neighbors, the Bushnell. Mm -hmm. uh, we are actually in the audience. I think I would be interested to know this. One of the reasons that uh, uh, propels the opening of the victory is it, we are currently in a Broadway grid 
that does not have a theater capable of putting on Broadway shows. So we are without the capacity. And what's going to happen is that that just, for example, when when a show is booked, booked at the Bushnell or uh, in Boston or in Providence, all that's taken into consideration. And it actually right. is much more exciting to the bookers because it gives them the opportunity to book more shows. Right, and with Symphony Hall not booking tours like they used to yes, when and, the yes, Development Corporation yeah, yeah. was still running. And that's a very important point, too, because I, you know, I'm often approached by people who say, we have these wonderful theaters, why do we need this, you know? And I'll say, you know, Symphony Hall is a case in point, which is a beautiful, fantastic theater. It is a theater that was built like the Boston Symphony Hall, strictly to hear an orchestra on stage. It does not have the front of house lighting capacity, the the, uh, off stage and behind stage capacity to handle the stagecraft of yeah, a Broadway they, show. When I worked at City City Stage and Symphony yeah. Hall, we yeah. did do Broadway tours yes. through there, and it was able to. But they need a management company exactly. to be able to do that. And exactly. I think with whoever's running it right now, they're there's they don't have the Correct. capability Correct. of doing that. And I think you'll remember there were often cases where they'd have to leave some of the sets. You know, it, it couldn't be accommodated. Right, they had to like adjust, adjust things, things to make et cetera, it work. Et exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, that's exciting that we'll be able to get um, onto that theater grid, as you called it. Yes. Yes. Um, so, how are you? So, in addition to these tours, are you are you thinking how many shows do you are you anticipating annually coming mm-hmm. through? Well, currently, and we're actually readjusting the what's called the pro forma, just what you're asking. Uh, and I, I believe we're, you know, we're looking at but between four to six Broadway shows and then uh, what I call the uh, festival events. And that's things like the Rossini Opera Festival or, uh, you know. Like dance festivals. <laughs> dance and festival, like exactly. Okay. Uh, and then we have the community, you know, if the, if the, the you know high school musical right. is there right. and something that you're doing right. you know i mean there there's another you know a lot of opportunity there so it yeah. will be it will be booked when i say booked or uh, programmed year round so great. It, yeah great and uh we also have interesting um questions from various other organizations in the area is this some place where we could hold a conference could we uh, one of one of the, one of the things that came right out very early on in our programming was Saturday morning cartoons. Okay. <laughs> At eleven o'clock, that was you know on Saturday, which because oh. there's no place now where like kids can go for something like that. So we, you mean as a movie theater? As a movie theater. Oh wow. So okay. It will be okay. That you know, getting back to the cost of this uh, restoration and reopening. So uh, we are. It's going to be fully, fully in every way technologically up to date up to speed for let's call it 20 i hope i'm going to say 2050 you know oh wow great and we're also expanding the uh, orchestra pit now there's a standard broadway size 21 call it 21 musician pit we are expanding that to 40 oh wow and it's not will be on an elevator so that we can also accommodate we can't necessarily accommodate a valgnerian uh, live orchestra but you know but 40 40 musicians that will go below don't go underground and then come up when it needs to be used That's awesome. so we're really we're really working on making it be something that can accommodate anything we would want to do and you're thinking multiple day runs like broadway yes, in boston correct. does yes. they book them yes exactly okay. i mean the the tier eight tours as you know i mean often i mean standard is thursday through sunday so you have a thursday night a sat a friday two on saturday and a sunday matinee that kind of 
and then yeah, loading out. Loading up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and then probably pulling in another event soon after in the next week yes, or so. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's, can we talk a little bit about how you are going to be doing some theater education program? Like what's some of the programming that you're thinking about doing and how are you working with Holyoke Community College on this project? And, you know, uh, the, the education in theater, we started by talking about that. I mean, it's something that I feel very passionate about. Uh, I started out never thinking I'd be in theater. <laughs> I mean, I didn't go to school to learn theater, but I encountered theater and I changed from a, a, an interest in the arts in general and specifically in architecture uh, to become a theater director. <laughs> right. And that enabled me to go through, uh, you know, what uh, became the standard training session for or training program so i graduated from the university of pennsylvania i became the head of the penn players which is a which harold prince was also the head so the managing a nearly thousand seat theater uh and then i went to uh, the university of bristol in england the bristol vic theater school and uh that was a really rigorous training they don't play any they, they don't miss any punches there you have to be up at six o'clock in the morning and uh the actors are working in unheated rehearsal and maybe they're heated now but you know, unheated rehearsal rooms and you had to learn every aspect of theater and then you had to be what was called a dog's body an intern and service the bristol theater which is the oldest running theater in england oh, that wow. meant you had to bring the cup, cup of coffee to the, <laughs> the stars and the dressing yeah. room and stuff like that and i'm giving this background because uh and then from there uh i was recruited to yale the yale school of drama in new haven and they were starting uh, a program where they were training companies to service what was then the emerging uh, uh, regional companies, Lord Contract, like Stage West, etc., and there I had just the most incredible contact with you know everybody. Robert Brustein was the new head there, and whereas before I was a directing student, by that point I had identified myself as a director, and prior to that, the acting students, the playwriting students, the design students, all of the everybody had their own separate courses. And Robert Brustein did a great thing. He said. The directors have to go to all these classes, okay? Definitely, yeah. yeah. And they need to understand the. They need to, we. The director needs to understand the reality and the uh, what happens in all these other areas to actors, to designers, to playwrights. It was fantastic. Absolutely. So of course we were never allowed to open our mouths, but we sat in the back of of uh, you know acting classes where you know Stella Adler was giving acting classes or amazing. you know amazing people Bobby Lewis uh, yeah and uh, I bring that up as my background because it that I became so passionate and so it's never left me how important and what an incredible engagement in thinking and feeling and in creativity and creativity sounds like such a overused name a word but um putting on a theater show and what actors do and what everybody does and uh so the victory program takes that into consideration we are also focusing very strongly on the non-artistic aspects of the world of 
the ind- I'm going to call it the entertainment industry. So like the so administrative that's the ba- side. Administrative, okay. backstage, box office, okay. uh, 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 things like cosmetology, uh, all of the uh, sound, light, yeah. lots of the areas because we have, as you do at the high school, uh, we have programs in the local colleges and universities which deal with the acting and the playwriting, etc. You know, uh, so we want it to be focused on looking at the victory as a kind of maritime academy. I think that's We're, a great idea because there's so many students having gone to UMass myself and, yeah. you know, interacting with HCC yeah. all the time. Yeah. They need to practice these exactly. things in, exactly. and not just in their own departments. It's exactly. great for them to have exposure outside of their theater spaces so they can meet new people and make connections and start to kind of navigate through the world of theater because it really is about practicing and meeting people. You said it. And it's apprenticing mm-hmm. in the old fashioned way. Right. And um and there's also, you know, at any one time nearly one hundred and ten percent employment for for people skilled in those aspects of the industry. Yeah. Not just in live theater, but in television, uh, in film, uh, in media of all kinds. And now the entire, you know, daily the world of how we receive entertainment is changing with streaming. It, it, you know, between you and me, and we know right. it all goes back to what the actor feels and says, and how how communicative that that essential part of the craft is. But there are all these other things that are happening that are bringing acting, the ex- expression, stories about how we live, all of that to people in in amazing ways that didn't exist even ten years ago. Yeah, that's true. And there's so, so many f- things you can do. Like when I worked at Arizona Theater Company, they had a great summer program called Summer on Stage. Mm-hmm. And they it was for high school kids. And they had professionals directing them in shows. Yep. And the kids also got to sign up to work backstage and design yes. lights and all that. Yes. And they would do performances in the summer. And it was just a great opportunity for students to be able to continue the learning that they were doing uh, in their schools, but also do it in a way that was interacting Mm -hmm. with these professional artists and learning more skills over the summer so then when they went back to school they were ready to dive right back into it again so that that's really cool that you're going to be doing that for apprenticeships but it also sounds like we might be able to do some shows there how absolutely that's exactly we'll have to work out the details of how we're going to build a set (laughs) in there and not interfere with the scheduling so we might have to like it can be built you know, and brought in. I yeah. mean, you know, all of that becomes, the, as you know, the reality of theater. Right. And that's a, a fantastic thing for people to experience. That's why the shows I see that you do. And, you know, nobody can do that unless they know the score. And you know the score because you've done it yourself, you, right. Bevan. And, uh, and that's what the students respond to. And that's the knowledge that they get. And that's what's useful to them, as you say, whether they go into the theater or not. There are aspects of the theater, like loading a set, you know, like it's not just, okay, you know, where the lights are, uh, where the sound is, you know, all of these, uh, what time rehearsal begins, you know. Uh, It's very important part to the kind of organization of getting anything done. Absolutely. I I always say to people, it's problem solving and logistics. The kids are learning how to problem solve and how to make things flow in a way Mm -hmm. that makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. 
So all of these skills are super important Mm -hmm. to any career that Mm -hmm. anybody can go into. And and I think the other interesting thing, so when I I, uh, I bring this up only because, I I mean, I don't think about it all the time, but I've been thinking about it more in in, as far as the education part, is that... uh, so I began my career at the at the New York Shakespeare Festival, the Public Theater, the first season that Joseph Pat put on it at oh, cool. uh, on Lafayette Street, and there's going to be a big celebration of that. Uh, Gail Pap is bringing out a book about her life with Joe. She was his, was his wife. She's his widow, uh, and you know, uh, because of that, I I was recruited to advise a program out in Chicago, uh, which became the Columbia College Chicago. Um, theater program, which uh, was really thought of as one of the most successful training programs. It was, the goal was to train inner city uh, youth in theater. And it was so interesting um, because I had never really, I, I didn't think, that's not what I thought of. I mean, I did not think of myself that way, but I didn't think, you know, I thought, I put on shows, you know, I direct shows. <laughs> I read, you know. And it was fascinating for me because of the dedication of the people that began that pro- program, and I and I think it has uh, really accounted the most successful program, uh, you know, of its time. Uh, I just remember watching uh, the students, or the, I think of them as the cast, the company, you know, whatever, right. walking across the stage. These were not actors. I mean, these were people, you know, who were going to be doing sound. We're going to be. And I, I remember one time there were three uh, uh, young folks and they were walking and they just stopped because they, we, we, the one thing I said was it has to be on a real theater. There is no point building a ship in a bottle. There is no point. I, the thing that excited me about the theater was that I could always be working, even experiencing the size space that was realistic. Okay, those spaces later could become off-Broadway shows that seated 200 people, it doesn't matter. It's a space that is going to be used for the actual presentation. And that changes people. And I saw these three, I've got to call them kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they suddenly stopped. <laughs> I won't use the expletive. They, said. Yeah. <laughs> they were looking out, you know, and they said, oh. and when they went back and started working with the sound and the light, you know, that changed them. That's what's great about having really the, you know, when the theater was um, improved at, at the high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has volume, it has space. There's something there that gives people um, the experience. Yeah, there's a complete renovation exactly. happening this summer, actually. Yes, I so know. It's the new exciting. seats are actually going in this Great. summer. We've got uh, so many brand new lights yeah. going in. It's yeah. going to be amazing. And flat panel side Fantastic. curtains for the wings. It's going to be really awesome. Wonderful. But you know what I'm saying? It I gives, do. And I think even when people then think, a lot of people, of course, in the theater are in film and now in, uh, you know, Netflix series. I mean, before COVID, there were 349 uh, series being shot in LA. Now there are over 3,000. Yeah, there's a high demand. And it is all, not only the um, artistic uh, staff and content, the the technical people, they're all the people, they're really, they cut their teeth in live theater. And there's, and they, when, when people, I've heard again, when people start lighting or dealing with the show, they, even when it's being recorded like this, like we're yeah. being recorded, we know this is going to be heard by people out there. You're aware of the big world if you, if you are in that setting. And right. if you, 
are if you sort of get a grasp on that right in the early training programs I think is very important yeah I think once the kids see my students see the excitement even the tech kids the backstage crew you know I've got kids running light boards now and doing lighting design now and they see this excitement from the audience and it really drives them to continue with the work and to to continue learning and how to do their best work in it yes so I I think it's really exciting work and I'm I'm excited to see what we can do with MIFA Victory Theater as we move forward I already have some ideas for fundraisers (laughs) for the theater company that I'd love to do at Victory Let's do it. So it would be just so wonderful because, you know, we we have to raise all of our own funding just like you do for our productions. And so um, speaking of funding, um, how are you going to end up getting some like producers or backers for some of the shows too because there is a portion of money that has to be invested from the theater itself to get these Broadway tours through yes. right so yes. um so i'm sure that you've already have a slew of people that are interested in backing shows but it does take a lot of work i'm sure your um your uh, development department's going to be yeah busy moving and the shaking development is a key what you're talking about is in the pro forma of course we have built in in terms of the fundraising that's happening now monies to begin that process but you know that then becomes actually something very exciting for local businesses and uh entities definitely institutions to say this is the (laughs) i won't say their names because right right you know this is sponsored by yeah right that becomes very important it does become very important and so we're hoping and then just fun things like having galas and fundraisers and like that kind of thing will be really exciting to have here in Oak. i think what you're saying and not to interrupt Mm -hmm. is again having it, it's it's going to be such a great thing when people walk through the doors and see this place uh, and just understand how it can be used. Yes, that's another very important part. I mean, other other institutions, not for profit or for profit company, what can use the theater? They can actually have it as a place that sixteen hundred people. Cool to have like to. TED talks, local TED, TED talks, talks, and things like absolutely. that too. So, how if somebody wants to get involved with making a donation or mm-hmm. getting involved with helping to get the word out about fundraising, how do they get in touch with you? And uh, what do great people need to, to do? well, first of all, go to the website www.mifafestival.org. And there's a lot of information there. There's a donate button. But um, I, I like to say I'm always available or somebody from MIFA will always respond to a call. Uh, and our phone number is 413-540-0200. And uh, we'll get back to you and let you know what's happening Great. Uh, and get you involved. Are there any events planned coming up that are fundraisers yeah. for the Victory Theater? We're bringing in, so uh, in uh, September... The last week in September, uh, starting the 26th, we're bringing in a show from France about Nina Simone. Okay. Uh, and it's a great show. Uh, and we're doing that. Uh, and we're bringing in a dance company from France, also called Never 21, by a great French uh, choreographer, Smalley, uh, in, 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 in Otoué. And uh, that's the first week in October. Then we have, uh, we don't have the date set yet, but our annual Latinx Theater Festival, which were the past three seasons, we have not been able to, well, we did live uh, presentations last fall, but prior to that, we were still stuck in the COVID, no live stuff. And uh, so we're um, 
we will have um, a Latinx, Latinx theater festival event. We're talking with the Bragones, Puerto Rican oh, great. traveling theater from New York. And uh, uh, that, will, that will be, at this point, October, November. Awesome, but, and where are those shows gonna be happening? Well, well um, I, you know, I don't wanna let the cat out of the bag, but I think that Nina Simone is gonna be here in the new uh, Holyoke Media space, which oh, cool. is a great, because it's like a cabaret space. Definitely. And this is a two-person show. Great, great Perfect actress who plays Nina it. with one musical accompanist. It'd be great. And uh, we're, we're looking, we we're not exactly sure where the Never 21, the dance piece will be. But it, you know, it could also possibly be here or, and I think the Latinx theater, depending upon, you know, the technical uh, demands might also be here. We're trying to do everything in Holyoke next season. Great. Yeah. That will be perfect. <laughs> and we can get some students to come yes, out. Yes, absolutely. Check that out. We can have Ab an usher or whatever we need to do. Love that. Love that. And also, you know, always want to have that interaction between the artists definitely and the, and we love having those workshops available yeah. too we've worked with pergonas theater in the yes, past and that yes. was an amazing workshop the amazing. kids loved that last year yeah, yeah so and i'm hoping to actually have them on as a guest on the spotlight on podcast so that's yeah, just yeah. about their work and the amazing things that they're doing in the Bronx yeah so well I really appreciate you having the time today to come in and talk to me and share with our listeners about me for victory theater and the exciting things that are to come and I really do hope that we can open this up in yes. the next few years and yes. that ground will be broken yes. soon so we can aim for that yes. 2024 right yeah so that's december 31st 2024 uh -huh. grand opening so um that i know people always get mad at me don't you it might be but i i have to say those because if we don't do that we don't move towards that and, but I, I really think it's looking very good that's great well thanks again Don and I hope that it does happen thank you, and um, thank you again for all of your support thank for the you. Holyoke High School Theater Company thank you so much that's that's one of the most enjoyable aspects of this job thank you <laughs> this has been Spotlight On Spotlight On is produced at Holyoke Media in Holyoke Massachusetts Spotlight On is a resource for all things theater education from lesson planning to how to produce a show on a budget, fundraising, teaching ELL students, inclusivity in the theater classroom, professional development, and so much more. Tune in each week for a new guest in the spotlight that will share all things theater education.